Match day minus one and the Socceroos v France is nearly finally upon us. David Wiener with you once again for another episode of Keep Up in Qatar. And to get you through the final match day minus one until the Australia's campaign kicks off. We've got another great podcast for you. David Davidovich and Tom Smithies are with me in Doha once again. Tom, we'll go to you first because before we tuck into the substantial Socceroos preview, you have been to some live football today to see England 6, Iran 2. What an occasion. What an occasion indeed. And not just because it was the second game of the World Cup, not just because it was a near full house and a great atmosphere, but to see uh, an England side that's flickered and promised and done done very well by playing a certain brand of football really let the uh, the shackles off today and uh, play some great football. Um, Iran were poor at times, but, but they were made to be poor. Uh, they obviously had a, a dreadfully disrupted build-up. There was also all the... Political stuff around, you know, they didn't sing the national anthem in protest at what's going on back in Iran in terms of the, the clampdown on, on protests and that kind of thing. So, uh, and, and coach Carlos Quiroz talked about that afterwards and the, the difficulty for, as he calls it, his kids. But let's not take away from, from England. They, they scored five goals from open play. They only scored three in the whole of 28, mm. the 2018 World Cup. They were inventive. They moved the ball really quickly and sharply. They finished well. Uh, and it was... Uh, it was a it was a great game from that point of view. They sort of gave away two goals, really, which Gareth Southgate wasn't happy about at all. He said we'll have to be better. We can't do that, and we won't progress if we if we do that. But uh, but yes, it was a, it was a great occasion to be at, and um, it'll be very interesting to see where England go from here. Sucker brace, Bellingham, Sterling, Rashford, Grealish. That is an embarrassment of attacking riches on the board for England. Fantastic story with Saka and Rashford getting on the board in their first game at a major tournament, obviously since the heartbreak of the Euros. Dave, we watched this from the media centre in the middle of Doha. Uh, it was a very formidable display from England, who many people might have thought it might have been a tight game with Iran, you know, classically having to absorb uh, teams under pressure. England made mincemeat of them. Iran's traditionally been strong, regularly qualify for World Cups and speaking to a lot of people, a lot of the predictions we've heard uh, on Keep Up from A-League's legends and current players and whatnot, not too many people have uh, got too excited about England, but uh, on the evidence of today, every chance of making the final and potentially going all the way, which would be, uh, which would be a phenomenal achievement, uh, obviously haven't won a World Cup uh, or a major trophy since uh, 1966, I believe, Tom. Um, but yes. no, I was very happy for you today, mate. We were uh, we were referencing that in the uh, the media centre watching. But honestly, extraordinary depth from that with that mm. English squad. When you got the likes of Grealish, uh, Rashford, Foden coming off the bench, and a really good age profile mm. as well. You know, depth uh, in, in terms of the older players' experience and, and some younger players too. So, um, yeah, really exciting team to watch. Tom, in terms of watching players live and seeing how good they are, how good was Jude Bellingham today? Unbelievable. Uh, he covered so much ground. His passing statistics, 97% accuracy in his passing rate, and there were a lot of them. He, he knows when to play the simple ball. That's the beautiful thing. His decision-making for someone so young is the second youngest ever England goal scorer uh, and today. And, and his decision-making is so good, so mature. And then he'll suddenly glide across 20, 30 metres with the ball, play through the lines and create an opportunity. The ball for, um, for Callum Wilson to set up Grealish for the, uh, the fifth goal, I think it was. Um, was hmm. just six goals. Lost goal. count. <laughs> uh, was, was extraordinary and, and um, it, it just adding tens of millions of 
euros to his value with uh, with every minute that went past. Interesting with these players who go over to Germany. I mean, Jaden Sancho, another mm. one. I mean, it's it's great for them, kind of out of the the Premier League bubble, can go and you know develop in their own way in a fantastic competition. And I mean, Bellingham is unbelievable. It was great watching him. Looking forward to seeing him live for the first time. Absolutely, me too. Wales and USA is on as we speak. Depending how long we do before, there might be a result by the end of this podcast. Otherwise, jump onto the Keep Up app, of course, and the social accounts, and you'll be able to get all the information you need on that. Before we get into the Socceroos, um, atmosphere, Tom. Love to hear about the atmosphere there today and then just generally, guys, a word because I'm getting a lot of texts personally from people at home who want to know what it's like here. What, what appearance versus reality? Is it is it as bad as people are maybe perceiving in the world press back home? We can tell them because we're living it here and I think that's a really important part of what we can do here having this experience. Um, Tom, the game today. Dave, your observations in general. Uh, what's it really like here? I think there are two points here. The game was terrific. Uh, uh, marred by the fact that FIFA had a major problem with the uh, ticketing app before the game. There were long, long queues. People got in late. Luckily... They were people, from what we could see, everyone was very well behaved and, and did queue up and waited. FIFA's having a good tournament oh, thus far, right? Really, they? really is, uh, really is poor. Um, so a lot of fans struggle to get in, and that's something that they have to address. There were a lot of fans around the stadium, and you expect that. I'm not sure that's representative of the overall atmosphere, though. Like we had those issues last night with um, trying to trying to find somewhere to to watch the game. And that continues to be an issue that reading other newspaper reports yeah. from, from other journalists who had exactly the same experience that hardly anywhere is showing it. And they're just not that many people here. Now, maybe that's going to change over the next couple of days and we'll see um, more people spread out across the city, but not just in these tiny pockets. Like the Sook was quite full, but that's not very many people. It's quite a small area. And I think it's the streets around it. My friend of mine was staying here in a hotel right next to the Sook and he, he went for a wander. He's been to World Cups and he said, it's dead. Yeah, uh, not too dissimilar to Tom's sentiments. Uh, it has been underwhelming um, at times and, and there have been some empty seats, which is a really unfamiliar yeah. sight at World Cups, to be honest. And it'll be interesting to see, yeah, the games over the next few days and the rest of the knockout tournament. I dare say it'll be interesting to see Qatar's third game mm-hmm. if they lose uh, if they lose their second match. But... Um, yeah, I mean, the atmosphere sounded fantastic uh, through the television uh, for the England game. I know uh, Jono, one of our producers here, uh, commented that the English fans were fairly quiet walking out of the stadium, uh, perhaps something to do with uh, the, the lack of alcohol um, on offer uh, inside the stadiums. But, um, look, the atmosphere has been great. I mean, you know, the Wales-USA uh, game yeah. um, that we've been watching, you know, through the, the, the TV uh it sounded great. Really looking forward to the to the Socceroos France game tomorrow. I think that will be electric. But um, yeah, it is. It continues to be a very unique World Cup. Well, you segued that magnificently, Dave. Because part, what's and what's going to make these atmospheres as well, of course, is the travelling fans, of which we know there are plenty of Australians here and Socceroos fans, both coming all the way from Australia or who also live in this region. So. Let's begin unpacking the Socceroos game against France. Why don't we start with what we did today, which was uh, while well, you were at the England game, we were at the media centre for Graham Arnold's press conference with Matt Ryan. A uh, packed press conference, not as packed as Lionel Messi's, which I couldn't get into for Argentina. There was a standing room only and a 30 per people wait out the door. Um, but it was, I've written about it on the Keep Up app. Um, Matt Ryan, steely eyed, very focused, very, very strong. Very reflective of the comments in his keep-up column, actually. Deep thinking, focused, 
the real leader in the room. Graham Arnold, Dave, had a very different approach. He was very jovial. He was very relaxed and he was cracking jokes, but in a way saying we're relaxed because we're focused and we're ready. He was uh, cracking all kinds of gags in that press conference room where we had uh, media from France and from Brazil and other parts of the world. There's even a Real Madrid TV reporter who asked him about Benzema and even within the answer to that question, there were particular messages that, uh, you know, he kind of went off on a tangent. He was really focused on delivering particular messages. One of them was about the importance of of what they'll do with the ball. It's not just about defending. So... um, it's interesting, and you've written about it extensively over the last uh, few months, Tom, and even years about uh, the mindset, Graham Arnold's mindset with the likes of Mike Conway uh, coming into the, the camp, the, the mind the guru, um, for want of a better term. So, um, yeah, but considering it's his first World Cup game, and I know historically Arnie has been really nervous uh, and I think back to the 2007 Asian Cup, which was a long time ago. But, uh, you know, even in the A-League when, you know, he was known to snap, um, you know, on air and and whatnot, he just cut a really relaxed figure on the eve of a World Cup match against the reigning champions. I mean, we didn't learn anything new. It reinforced the messages that we've been hearing for a while. Focus, belief, energy as well. But I felt like it really was... The press conference is a microcosm of everything we've been talking about for probably the last year or six months um, and in the end his his words were yeah we're relaxed because I think the first question was when do you go into game mode he said it's not a problem because the, the players are ready they're ready and they're ready to take on France yeah and that question it was almost implied that they're a little bit too relaxed when will they switch on and, and sharpen up but um, he, he responded really well to that I thought so he didn't give away his lineup to you when you asked, which is not surprising. But let's get into that now ourselves, because uh, while he won't give away the lineup, we can speculate about it. And, and so as we, we obviously went in depth, and we've gone in depth the last couple of days about Martin Ball being out. Uh, now the question is formation. How many spots are up for grabs? Um, and how many fresh faces are going to come into the side? And if we reiterate what we've spoken about for a while, that uh, Matt Ryan's a lock, Aaron Moore's a lock, Jackson Irvine is a lock, we suspect Mitchell Duke is a lock. And listening to the language, Harry Suter is a lock. What do we make of the 11 from there? Well, the context is we've been discussing a potential back three slash back five for the last couple of days. Now, our understanding is that it is something that the Socceroos coaching staff did consider. However, they will, it appears now, they will persist with the back four, which is what Arnie's played Mm -hmm. for 95% of his coaching tenure. But, uh, yeah, all those names you mentioned are do appear to be locks. The two question marks that they have or had, I think by now they've made their mind up. We're still digging and and trying to uh, unlock exactly uh, what that, uh, unearth what that starting 11 will be. And we will find out before kickoff, I have no doubt, even if it's when the uh, the team sheets come out. (laughs) But right back, that's that's a big one. And... In large part, that depends on what France will do. Mm. So with Benzema out, I think they were initially France. We're thinking about playing a, a front two of Benzema and Mbappe, if you don't mind. Um, but with uh, with Benzema out now, um, we believe they'll play a front three with Giroud up front, 
Dembele on the right and uh, and Mbappe coming off the left. So all of a sudden, that right back position becomes really important, and you know, virtually that man marking job against yeah. Mbappe becomes absolutely critical. So. That, for mine, brings a Tommy Deng into the equation who's really rock-solid defensively. He's probably the quickest of the three uh, when you compare him to a Fran Karacic and Nathaniel Atkinson. They're both fleet of foot also, but uh, Deng's the quickest. Karacic would be the other one who I think is a big chance. He's more defensively minded. Atkinson more offensively minded. But again... Did a great job in those two qualifying games against UAE in Peru, so you can't rule him out. So that's the big toss of the coin. And the other one's in midfield. Who plays uh, alongside Aaron Moy and Jackson Irvine? And does he go with the more offensive-minded Riley McGree? Goal-scoring midfielder scored, scored in his last game for Middlesbrough before coming into camp. Or does he go with a Cami Devlin or a Keanu Backus who will give uh, them a little bit more defensive protection? Right back, first of all, I think you're underselling Atkinson a little bit. He does like Atkinson, played him at the Olympics. And he, if he's going to play a game of not roughhouse, but he wants to be physical, he actually said we'll kick and scratch and do whatever is necessary. Atkinson can do that up against whoever it is. But if it's Mbappe, then he has that physicality to try and get in their faces and almost stop them before they get the run going. Um, Deng doesn't have that physicality. Um, so I think... I would not be at all surprised to see Atkinson. And he's the incumbent. And he's the incumbent from, from those two playoffs. Although, as we've seen, I think that's less important than it was. I'm not... I wasn't dissing Nathaniel Atkinson. I it didn't was, say you were. My point was he's more of an attack-minded fullback. So he started his career I, I as I said you were underplaying his prospects of playing. Hmm. To, okay, re, to, refra- to rephrase it, though, I think in the, to- the selection m- might set a tone a little bit because... We've talked a lot about formations. What we don't know is... We know France are going to have a lot of ball. But we also don't know when, when all this talk about getting in France's faces and, and being proactive and getting on the front foot, is that in terms of hassling and harrying and, 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 and being ready to pounce and go? Or is that in terms of trying to take the game to France when we have the ball? Like, I'll be, we still haven't got a read on that necessarily. And maybe in those two spots, if it is McGree over Devlin or Bacchus, and if it is Atkinson over Deng, and Karacic, maybe that will tell us a little bit about that approach. The danger is that they they drop and they drop and they drop and they get deeper and deeper. And Iran the more, today. The more defensive midfielders you have, the day, the bigger that danger because they will just be... They have their backs to goal, if effectively. Mm. And the thing about McGree is that he can get forward and support the striker and try and move the game up the pitch, try and build a little pocket of possession higher up the pitch allow the Socceroos defence to move up and just change the weight of the game for a, for a few seconds. Yeah, and I mean, that's where it's... The midfield, the composition of the midfield is really intriguing because, again, you, you go back to... The game has clearly changed, but in 06 and 2010, you had Vinnie Grella. In yeah. 2010, you also had Mili Edenak, who was screening... Carl Valeri as well. Carl Valeri too. <laughs> they, they loaded up the midfield in 2010, didn't they, against Germany? And uh, Richard they Garcia played, up front <laughs> played without a striker or a recognised striker. With all due respect to uh, to Richie, um, then you've had Mila Yedinak in the the, the last two um, World Cups. So if they do choose a McGree, I mean Aaron Moy and Irvine would be the two essentially screening players. So yeah. again, guys who aren't. 
you know, who've grown up being more attack-minded players. So it, it's ju- it'll just be really fascinating to see what composition that is. Again, you can sort of manipulate the game plan and the tactics with... Uh, yeah, with the players that you choose. I mean, Atkinson obviously can 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 bomb on, and you know, as his beige potentially tuck in, um, you know, into a back three uh, to release some of those midfielders. But yeah, there's so many different combinations that you can play here that um, that it's yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they uh, come out with. Just two interesting points on that is probably in terms of underselling, probably underselling McGree in terms of the, the work he can do. He's in the championship, doing well. Physical league, he can be prepared to get amongst it as well. And the other thing is in these games when you are the underdog and you might get pushed back, you might get pushed back, and then when you do get the ball, you need to have the ability to actually hold it with composure and actually be able to settle. And even if it's not saying go on a break, it's actually you can actually take the sting out of the game for a minute and that you don't end up turning it over, clearing it and getting back on the cosh. And with Moy and McGree in particular in those roles there might be the ability for Australia to at least have that composure on the ball as France press on them. So that's, that's another aspect to it too that might, even though it looks like in its offensive mood, it's still just the ability to be able to remain competitive in those tight spaces. And that's absolutely crucial to, to being able to sustain possession for 30, 40 seconds higher up mm. the pitch. And just as I said before, move the, the balance of the game away from the Socceroos goal. And, and at the risk of disagreeing with myself here, um, <laughs> having Moy higher up the pitch does potentially allow you to do that and to, again, shift the balance of the game. Um, the danger is someone like Devlin is so inexperienced at this level, mm. same with Bacchus, that they have to have the presence of mind to know when to push on, when to hold. Interesting thoughts on the keep-up app from Harry Kuehl. Um, because he wasn't part of that game against Germany in 2010, you know, which is the equivalent from each of these tournaments that, that we're having uh, tomorrow against France. He doesn't want history to repeat in terms of the tactics. He, he, he's saying that his lesson, his personal experience from them is even against the Giants, and they were defensive that day and got whipped anyway, mm. is to have a bit of character, which is what we've heard the rhetoric from the team, but it's interesting coming from, uh, from one of those legends which you can read about on the Keep Up app. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there was some, again, talk about the back three, and, and that was something that, um, that, that he thought was a bit of an alarm bell if, if you were to go out because the, the mentality of would send yeah. out the, the wrong message to the opposition and essentially to the world, as it did uh, in that game against Germany. Go out without a striker, concede in the first five minutes, game over. Also, as also the third game at the Olympics, when yeah. Carney switched to a back five and uh, just it, it absolutely changed the mentality of the Australian players when they were on the back foot. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, Harry Kewell, again, he's... He's been under Ange Postacoglu for the last six or seven months and he talks about, you know, this team needing to have an identity, go out and have a go, which is completely unsurprising considering that was very much Ange Postacoglu's mantra. But uh, spoke extensively and glowingly about Aaron Moy. They've never worked together before. Um, Would have briefly crossed paths playing against each other in the... uh, Isuzu Ute uh, A-League back in the day when Harry was at, uh, at Melbourne Heart and Aaron Moy at uh, the, the Western Sydney Wanderers. Uh, but, yeah, he said he's – he rated him as a footballer, but he's gone up in his estimations big time. And uh, he reckons Aaron Moy is primed for a, for a big World Cup and gets into some, some fantastic detail about Aaron Moy, the footballer, and, uh, and what he brings to the table at this World Cup. Yeah, I'm excited for what Aaron Moy can do at this tournament too, particularly against – uh, this calibre of opponent. So that's Australia. Oh, we I've taken it for granted because we've spoken about it a lot, but uh, Mabil and Leckie as the front wingers with Duke. 
You would think so. I, I still wouldn't rule out Craig Goodwin starting. I think, again, depending on what you want from those wide players and just every selection has a domino. So Craig Goodwin, you know, to have a, a, a Mobile or a Leckie up your sleeve, it probably would be Mobile to, to, to come off the bench, you know, whether you're, you're you're chasing a goal or um, you know whatever it is, but uh, you know beyond that, it's it's the young guys. It's Marco Tilio. It's uh, it's Garan Qual for those uh, wide positions. And as we've discussed previously, I mean Craig Goodwin comes in with uh, you know in great form, and you know it would be probably a, a surprise uh, selection for France. It would be a surprise, but with set pieces such a key part of where we might be able to strike, if if he brings the attributes that, to do the work that's needed tactically and defensively as well. Um, <clears throat> what a great asset to have to deliver a ball onto Harry Sutar's head or to, or to Mitch, Mitch Duke as the battering ram up front. So maybe, 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 maybe that's an option as well. I think either way, Leckie starts because his, Ange loved his power. Uh, Arnie rates it as well very highly, this ability to get up and down. He used to be the quickest player in the Bundesliga mm. at one point. He's still quick, he's still powerful, and that's so important defensively as well as offensively. You've been speaking to some journalists today, Dave, from France. L'Equipe? Uh, L'Equipe? Kena Plus? Which, which one? Um, All of the above. L'Equipe Up? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Your pronunciation is out of control. Yeah. Um, we would like to apologise for any damage done to the French language in the making of this podcast. Pot kettle black. Uh, what, uh, what intel have they given you about the 11 we should expect? And and the mindset too, because by the way, uh, you've had some different mouth both of you. Because I think Tom, you've written a piece where the perspective was that actually a, a line in the sand on Benzema is a positive for France. But you got some different point of view on that today, Dave, which I guess shows just how many opinions and how big the debate is in French football, in the, European football. They do have a big press pack, but it was yeah very interesting chatting to uh, to one of the uh, L'Equipe reporters who I spoke to four years ago uh, on the eve of the uh, the Socceroos France game and. His view was that the Karim Benzema fiasco has caused some real ripples in the Le Bleu camp. So, why is it a fiasco? Because he hasn't played or trained since winning the Ballon d'Or. The guy could hardly walk, was brought into camp, duly got injured. All the focus and all the talk has been on him, whether he was going to be fit or not, and not on the rest of the squad. And they couldn't train fully until two days ago. Very good. Play on. And. <laughs> and therein Thanks, lies, the, absolutely spot on, uh, therein lies the issue within the French team. Now, the reporter in question, I won't give up his name, but uh, he believes that Benzema knew that he was an absolute long shot here. If Didier Deschamps knew the exact condition that he was in, that he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have picked him. And Deschamps historically has... And, and, the French national team, by extension, perhaps because they have so much depth, they don't like to go into major tournaments with players who have, uh, you know, injury clouds mm. hovering over their heads. So, uh, yeah, he was adamant that it has caused uh, some real ripples in that French team. Again, Olivier Giroud comes into the side. He's a gun. He's two goals off, <coughs> equaling Thierry Henry as their all-time leading scorer. However... Benzema comes into camp. He's picked in the 26-player squad. They expected him to be fit. Now he's not here. That's clearly going to cause some issues within that team. And don't forget, Benzema said that um, was it, he was a Formula One car and 
and uh, Giroud is a, a, a mini or something. Well, <laughs> since he's come, see, Giroud does polarize opinion, doesn't he? Yeah. But since he's come back in, and it was you know we thought they're going to be unbeatable at the Euros. It, it's not as simple as throwing the best players on the planet in the eleven. It, it, it might simplify the game plan in a way for France, even though it's come late and disrupted their preparation. Well, how many times have they imploded heading into a major tournament? Most famously or infamously in 2010. And two. And 2002 as well. But uh, interesting, talking to a French journalist yesterday and, um, and one of the things he was talking about was why uh, Benzema was in the squad and he said it was almost like um, uh, Deschamps owed him because they were, he was out for so long because yeah. of all these allegations of... Uh, an alleged blackmail plot with his teammates and, and basically, you know, the F FFF just said no for six years. Mm. So he missed the 16 European Championships, he missed the 18 World Cup, missed his teammates winning the World Cup. So it was like, it doesn't matter whether you're on one leg or three, mm. you will, will be in the squad until the last possible moment. Mm. And that undoubtedly has caused issues. And managing these big personalities and keeping them happy that's as important if not more important than your Tell me tactical it. formations with these mm. with these big squads now you got a little dozier there dave i don't know if you're allowed to give away your sources but um that that front three were complimented by antoine griezmann um adrian rabio basically gave away the other day that he is going to be starting um who gets the other night supremely talented uh midfield they have in their squad but not established internationals otherwise. Yeah, that's right. And again, Kante Pogba, everyone expected them to be here. Uh, 2018 World Cup winning midfield. So we're expecting Chimeni to uh, start alongside Rabiot um, with Griezmann a little bit further advanced and uh, Dembele Mbappe in the, in the wide position. So um, as much as... Uh, the A-team, quote-unquote, would have been um, a little bit more intimidating on paper. It's still a bloody good front half. It sure is. And as I mentioned yesterday, that someone like Antoine Griezmann, uh, I think, might benefit from Karim Benzema's absence because he just always overperforms for France. No matter what his form like is at, is at club level, um, and it gives him a bit more responsibility in that in that pocket, and may benefit from playing more than thirty minutes. Yeah. I was going to say, with his club situation now seemingly sorted, he'd be a, he should yeah. be in a happy state. So, and just oh. uh, some final injury news: uh, Rafael Varane. We are expecting uh, will start. So he was the other one under an injury cloud, along with uh, Benzema. We are expecting him to start in central defence with Konate and uh, Pavard and. Uh, and Hernandez uh, at left back. A few familiar faces who were there four years ago. It was interesting, Hugo Lloris made very specific reference to that in his press conference today, that he remembers that feeling. They knew they would, they had a run for their money four years ago. The Australians referenced that four years ago, the feeling going, damn, you know, we were yeah. we were in that. That was closer. And actually, in one on one hand, maybe that will avoid French complacency because they know that they've got a plucky opponent coming up. But on the other hand, it's that second chance for the Australians. They've been there. They've actually had that experience against this. This group, a lot of this group have had this experience against this side, and maybe that will, will help reduce the intimidation factor going into into this game. Well, there's another fantastic column on keep up from the Socceroos 2014 and 2018 captain Mili Edenak, and he talks about the importance of that game. How disappointed they were. Uh, after the France game, it was a real missed opportunity. Mm. And he has no doubt that they can take confidence uh, from that match going into uh, this World Cup with a number of players still remaining. So it's eight. I think it's eight of the 26 played in that 
And Matt Ryan yeah. keeps talking about the just the, the way he's talking to the players that they're constantly chatting in the corridors, immersing them w- with their experiences. Um, they to use the old sort of football parlance, it takes do you lose one to win one. This might be the equivalent of that first World Cup game. All right, Jess, let's take ourselves out of the bubble. Tips for this one. Now we get very excited following the Socceroos wagon. Uh, believing the hype, be- listening to everything being said, but it's crunch time. Can the Socceroos, will the Socceroos get anything out of this game? My head says the game will go with, with former and pedigree. I'm going to go for 2 0 to France, but a determined, honourable performance from Australia. I'm tipping a 2 1 win for France. I think the Socceroos will go close. I wouldn't I would not at all be surprised if we do jag a draw. I just have this feeling that something crazy could happen, but if I'm realistic, I'm going with France 2-1. They've just got too much quality. Yeah. I mean, for all this talk and all this build up, Kylian Mbappe comes out in the first few minutes, rinses someone down the sideline, shows his quality like he does with Paris Saint-Germain and all of a sudden Socceroos are chasing a game. So, you know, that's not one Saying it's going to happen, but for all our optimism, that is the reality of the, of the level that we're playing at. However, to throw a cat amongst the pigeons, I'll go for one all because I'm going to go there absolutely banking on it, on an exhilarating day out at the World Cup. There's a really important point here, a, a very important difference to strike between hope and dreams and expectation. Now, you, we just said very deliberately, I'm going on pedigree. So logically, France should beat Australia. And most times they played, they would do because France are one of the top teams in the world. But you can dream and you can hope and you can not be overawed by the occasion and you can seize an occasion. And we've seen it happen at World Cups so many times. So that's what I hope happens. I'm just saying that I think the pedigree will, will uh, whatever the phrase is. <laughs> it, is yeah. it, it is nearly midnight here as we record this, so apologies, everyone. Um, to conclude, we will talk about all the different teams on this podcast. However, of course, when the Socceroos are playing, we're going to dominate discussion on that. But we will touch on, just to conclude, Netherlands beat Senegal 2-0. Uh, Gagpo and Klassen, the scorers. Uh, second half goal, they were made to work for it. the Netherlands. It was a fantastic open fair. Senegal went hard in the second half, but the Dutch did get the win. Um, and did you see any of this? You didn't see any of this, Tom, because you would have been at Gareth Southgate's I press I saw conference. injury time. Injury time. It was eight minutes. We saw a bit you of it, Dave. You were busy celebrating the England win, weren't you? I was busy writing. Okay. You should try it sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Too busy talking. The Dutch look good in passages, though. Frankie de Jong in the first half in particular, imperious, waltzing through the middle of the park, spraying balls, and a beautiful assist for the first goal of the game. So they got a good group here. I think they've got a good. Yeah. They've got the hardest game out of the way early with Ecuador and Qatar. To come. Yeah, De Jong looked a million bucks. They've got a really solid defence. Just a million? <laughs> well, <laughs> probably about fifty to be fair. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean Louis Van Gaal looks, you know, very relaxed on the sidelines. Fantastic coaching staff. They're actually looking looking really really good. The Dutch and fair play to Senegal. They gave it a red hot crack today, and without Sadio Mane, also mm. so sad to see them mm. going into this mm. World Cup without him. I think they could have done some real damage, but uh, they still look really good and got so many players playing at a high level. That's all we've got time for tonight. I hope everyone enjoys this podcast, listening on the way to work, on the ho- way home from work, ready for a huge morning Wednesday. And in fact, if you're up for it, Argentina against Saudi Arabia, Denmark against Tunisia, Mexico against Poland, then to start your day on Wednesday in Australia, the big one, 
France against Australia. Tom, you're doing the double. You're going to Denmark, Tunisia. I can't wait to see and read about your day out. And Dave will be at France, Australia early to go live on our social channels. So whoever's around can... Well, sorry, Tom, our producer, whose face has been white. We've just promised it. But we're going to try it. We're going to, we're going to be there. We're going to do it because we want to bring you all the colour and atmosphere as close to kickoff as we possibly can. And after kickoff too. Wall to wall. Keep up app. Social channels will be there. It's getting exciting now. Uh, you see a lot of the f- fans from around the world and the Aussie fans, uh, you know, running around town. So uh, always exciting. Match day minus one. We'll wake up. It is a very late kickoff, but uh, Socceroos back in action at a World Cup. Didn't think we'd be here, but we are. Gents, get some rest. Listeners out there, get some rest. It's all going to happen in 24 hours or so. Australia versus France. The next time you hear from us, we will be dissecting that result. Until then, enjoy your football.